Welcome to the Seminole Wars. In this podcast, we explore how the Seminole Wars came to be, how they were fought, and how they still resonate some two centuries later. I am your host, Patrick Swan, and our show is a production of the Seminole Wars Foundation, found online at www.seminolewars.us. We are recording today from the homestead of the Foundation in Bushnell, Florida. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome. This is not a trick question. What do you call a convocation of Seminole War historians in Jupiter, Florida in 2022? One word, historic. The chief of the Seminole Nation, Lewis Johnson, is traveling from Weewaka, Oklahoma to Jupiter Inlet, Florida to address the gathering. As with members of the Seminole and Miccosukee tribes still in Florida, his people fought in the Jupiter vicinity in early 1838 two battles on the Loxahatchee River. It is unlikely that any of them once removed ever returned. In April, the convocation welcomes Chief Johnson and his party, including a Seminole Nation color guard, to the site with open arms and a fond embrace. Chief Johnson's address may be the highlight of the third biennial convocation of Seminole War historians, but his address is not the only one of note. Convocation organizer Dick Kazmar board member of the Loxahatchee Battlefield Preservationists, or LBP, has arranged a full schedule of intriguing speakers and activities, including a battlefield tour with the Seminoles from Oklahoma. A former LBP president, Dick Kazmar, brought many years of knowledge and leadership to the task. He has been a battlefield docent and has been spotted a few times portraying Major General Thomas Sidney Jessup in full regalia. A former aerospace engineer with Pratt & Whitney, Dick Kazmar brings the smarts you'd expect to preserving the Loxahatchee battlefield and the memory of the battles fought here. In this episode, he shares the background of the convocation, its schedule with us, and just so you know, he reminds us you don't have to be a credentialed academic historian to listen in on how you, dear listeners, can attend. Dick Kazmar, welcome to the Seminole Wars. Well, thank you, Patrick. What is this convocation all about? Well, this convocation is about people sharing a common goal of increasing their knowledge, enthusiasm, and lessons learned about the Seminole War. In particular, we're striving for multicultural viewpoints of the Seminole Wars. This is the third biennial convocation. Well, we have folks that were involved in the Seminole Wars that were Seminoles, and we had different Seminole factions, different Native American tribes involved with the wars, and blacks were involved. We call them Seminole Maroons, and their viewpoints are so important. And the white viewpoint, which I call the military viewpoint, which we have the best records of, is the one that we're most used to, and we have speakers to present that, but we want to hear other sides of the story, too. What makes this convocation especially noteworthy? Well, at this convocation, we have some guests coming from the Oklahoma Seminole Nation. These are the folks that were actually uh, originally in the Battle of the Loxahatchee. 
They got uh, marched across to Tampa and put on boats and uh, placed up in the uh, Oklahoma Territory. And they are actually returning to what you would call their homeland. That was 184 years ago, so they weren't actually here, but uh, some of them have never seen their homeland and they will be coming here for the first time. The other thing is that we have a beautiful, historic Jupiter, Florida. We have a lighthouse that was built in 1858. We have other historical sites that we actually have on the agenda to visit. And then we have one of the unique situations of having two Seminole War battlefields in one park. We'd like to show off Loxahatchee Battlefield. I'd say that's a big deal by any measure. It's like a homecoming, and I think it's a more spiritual problem. There are folks uh, that died in the war. We don't know where the Seminoles buried their dead, but likely in the park there. It's kind of a spiritual experience. So, Dick, this is the convocation of the Seminole Wars historians. But you don't have to be a historian to attend, just somebody with an interest. You really don't have to be an historian, but if you have the interest in the Seminole Wars and you care enough to attend, that makes you a historian in our point of view. It's open to the entire public. We have folks coming to our events that bring their children, and we have senior citizens and everybody in between. So it's entirely open to the public. That's true, and, and we've, we've been concerned about that connotation, so we try to emphasize the fact that uh, it really just started with a lot of historians getting together and saying, you know, we need to do something statewide, something bigger than going around to the different battle sites for their different events. It originated by historians. Just like the Loxahatchee Battlefield Preservationists, we're not preserving anything anymore. But originally, they had to preserve that battlefield in order to make it into a place that the public could attend. In that respect, we're actually moving towards building an interpretive center, which is like a museum. That is what we need to be able to really preserve the history that we have been unfolding and discovering here at our battlefield. All right, I won't leave our listeners in suspense. What's the website address so one can learn more? The website to register is loxahatchiebattlefield.com. And that's all one word. I'll spell it for you. L-O-X-A-H-A-T-C-H-E-E-B-A-T-T-L-E-F-I-E-L-D.com. Under that website, you'll find the 2022 Convocation tab, and all the information to register is under there. We also hand out at events across the state right now. Uh, copies of our program and inside the program is a registration form and instructions to mail that in so so they can be mailed in or they can emailed in, uh, done online, paid for online, paid for by check, paid for by credit card. We're very flexible in that respect. I'd just like to add that you can also find the registration forms by going to the Seminole Wars Foundation site which will then send you over. Seminole Wars dot org or seminalwars.us. What's the price and what does it get an attendee? The price is $60 for the weekend. It's a three-day event and that's really not meant for anybody making any money. It's meant for 
us, me in particular, to manage this to the point that we at least break even. So we will be providing free cocktails at our reception, breakfast, lunch at our Saturday venue, breakfast on Sunday. So uh, all those things cost money. Now, right now is a good time to register because we have a block of room that are available at the Fairfield by Marriott. It's right in Midtown Jupiter, right in the center of the town, which makes it very convenient to all the venues that we will be using during that weekend. But the biggest thing is that we have it for $85 a night. This time of year, the hotel rooms in this area run about $200 a night. So until March 16th, we can sign up and get into that block of room. We have an agreement with the hotel if the block fills up and they have available rooms, they can add them to the block. So I would encourage anybody to take advantage of that offer. How did you, Dick Kazmar, come to earn the title of Master of Ceremonies? <laughs> well... The, the master of ceremonies in this case is the uh, chairman of the convocation committee for the Loxahatchee Battlefield Preservationists and, and came into that because of the original convocation in St. Augustine in uh, 2017. I was approached by the president of the Seminole Wars Foundation, Steve Rink, to host the convocation and actually Dowling Watford from Okeechobee was there at the same time being asked the same question and really he was saying uh, which one of you wants to go first and Dowling stepped up and committed to going first and I was president of the Loxahatchee Battlefield Preservation at the time so I could commit the group to hosting it after Okeechobee which I did. I was president for three and a half years later Holly Torres has taken over as president and and she made me the committee chairman. She had been the committee chairman before that, and then uh, she made me the convocation committee chairman, so that's how I got to this position. I'm tempted to say no good deed goes unpunished, but this is a good deed, and it's a good thing that you're in charge of setting all this up. That being said, what's the speaker's schedule look like? And then outside, what are some sites that the attendees will visit? In particular, we start off on a Friday afternoon, April 1st, with the Du Bois Pioneer Home Tour. One of our LBP members is a docent there, and she will be leading the tours on that. I'll tell you a little bit more about that Du Bois Pioneer Home later on. Also, Friday uh, after that, we have a reception and art exhibit at a very historic Jupiter Civic Center, which is right on the beach. It's a beautiful venue. It's an old uh, building, but old relative to Florida, maybe 1960s type of building. Open air, enjoyable. And we have a couple of pieces of artwork from that the LBP owns from Jackson Walker. And we have three seminal artists also that tell you more about later that will be there at the reception. Saturday morning, we have eight speakers lined up at the Jupiter Community Center, which is a beautiful building in the heart of Jupiter that's beautiful auditorium set up and a great type of event. We'll have booth along the side of the table with artifacts from the folks that uh, were discovering the battlefield here and have a lot of battlefield artifacts and proudly show off. 
On Sunday, we will be on the battlefield itself. So we'll have another five speakers. We will have the Oklahoma Seminole Nation Color Guard to kick it off, and that's a big deal. These are folks that that, uh, kick off many of the Seminole events in the Oklahoma area, and uh, we're very lucky to have them come down and kick off our event. We also have the Frank Lahmer Legacy Award to be awarded that day. We wrap up the convocation with a battlefield tour after all the speakers are done on Sunday. Meanwhile, let's get back to the first event on the schedule in a little bit more detail, the Dubois Pioneer Home. Du Bois Pioneer Home, which is what it's locally referred to. What's significant about this Du Bois Pioneer Home is it was built in 1898, and it was built on top of a 20-foot-high coastal shell midden. Our equivalent of a garbage dump, but it's really uh, the shellfish that they ate along the coast there. But this midden was 600 feet by 20 feet originally. Still 20 feet high that the Pioneer Home is built on. But the rest of the shells, they got carted off to make shell rock roads for Florida. (laughs) We had a lot of that. Also, in the Du Bois home, we have artifacts from that midden. Some of those artifacts are thousands of years old. So this isn't a a midden from the Seminoles in particular. It's from the ancient Indian tribe that have been occupying Florida for you know, up to 5,000 years. Also, the furnishings inside the, the home are original from the Du Bois family. The Du Bois family lived in there and actually traded with the Seminoles until the 1930s. There's also some traditional Seminole dolls that are in the house. It's a pretty exciting venue to start our fair off. I take it the house is representative of both the pioneer story and the coastal trading story in Florida. Yes. Very much so. Early pioneers, after the Seminole Wars, they were settling in the St. Augustine area and moving gradually down the coast, but but staying pretty much along the coast because with the food that you get from the ocean, easy access into the inland areas. But the inland areas, they still had Native American occupation in different areas, and so there were Seminoles that were living and trading with the pioneers in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And the pioneers that lived along it had to be pretty tough. You had to do everything on your own. You had to grow your own food. They had uh, pineapple plantations that started there. They had citrus started along the uh, inland waterways. Uh, So it was a tough life, but one that the pioneers apparently enjoyed. Being located on the Jupiter Inlet, it was in an area of commerce, and so having a home on the inlet made it a natural trading post. The Seminoles would bring their goods in trade, and Boy's family would get stuff in from the boats coming in the inlet to trade with them. So they had had that trade for many years in the late 1800s, early 90s. Who's the smart guy who talks about Loxahatchee Battlefield Archaeology? Chris Davenport is the Palm Beach County archaeologist. He likes to describe the battles from an archaeological view. Where 
they were located relative to other archaeological sites uh, in the area. And there were multiple sites. Describes those very nicely. Also shows in the park. It's a very large park, about 750 acres. And within that park, the two battlefields, uh, where they are, and a little bit about how they were found. He describes that and shows some of the artifacts that he has. And uh, also shows some of the things that there were some after the battlefields were found. And they weren't found until the 1990s. They did some archaeological digs in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, and he describes some of that. that one. Where can you view these artifacts? Is there an interpretive center? Yes, we'll someday be able to do that. We are raising the funding right now for building an interpretive center, a museum, on the site. We have two seminal villages that were located in the park near the battlefields. That was why the Seminoles were in that area. One of the sites in the, I would say, 1960s, they built a trailer park. They didn't know the battlefield was there at the time, so they brought in Phil and built a trailer park before the actual park was there. And the name of the park was Riverbend Park, son of a gun. We're going to build the interpretive center right on that area where the trailer park used to be because we think when we start digging for the foundation and all, we're going to find a ton of artifacts where that Seminole village once was. So that's going to probably start building uh, in 2026. We know we have funding in 2026. We're going to work on seeing if we get some upfront funding earlier than that. And if we do, we'll be able to start before 2026, but we'll at least start building it in 2026. How did you manage to interest the chief of the Seminole Nation, Lewis Johnson, to come out and speak to the convocation attendees? Well, we interested Chief Lewis Johnson to attend through your old pal Glenn Bakels, who actually was a previous president of the LBP also, and, and now heads up our battlefield tours. And he also is one of the main coordinators with the Seminoles themselves. So he was talking to one of his friends about who we could get from the Seminoles to be a presenter for the convocation. Glenn also posts every day on Facebook something having to do with the Seminoles, and he had just posted that day an article on Chief Johnson, and the friend that he was talking to said, don't you uh, ask uh, Chief Lewis Johnson? And Glenn said, Chief, I don't know him. Uh, he says, well, I do. Uh, I've got his phone number right here. Give him a call. Glenn called, and Chief Johnson actually answered the phone and accepted the invitation within five minutes. So uh, <laughs> it was it was really astounding. And then he brought some other folks along that we uh, added to the program Rodney Factor, it's an Oklahoma Seminole Nation band chief, and Jake Tiger, Oklahoma Seminole Nation cultural specialist, and the color guard. So all that came about from that initial phone call by Glenn Baker. Who else is on the schedule? We will have, along with Chris Davenport, Lewis Gopher. Lewis is from the Brighton Reservation, and we'll uh, talk some about the Seminole culture, Brighton Reservation point of view relative to the Seminole War. Elgin Jumper is actually a 
honorary member of our LBP. We do use his talents, and he's a great artist, to uh, have art exhibits and have him speak, and he is going to speak on that Saturday. Patsy West, really great Seminole War author, and I think she's well-respected by the Seminole folks across the nation. She'll be talking, and she's working the Miccosukee part of, I mentioned the other Seminoles from Oklahoma, but we also have Siggy Second Jumper, and Siggy has been a friend of ours for some years now since we went down to uh, the Big Cypress Reservation and had a tour down there, and he was our tour guide. We've got to know him, and turns out he He's not a Seminole, but he's a Chiricahua Apache who was brought up by the Seminole. He has a significant viewpoint and has written a couple of books about his Apache life, and that will all be very interesting on Saturday. Before we go further, please clarify. Loxahatchee Battlefield State Park or River Bend State Park? Let me clear up the confusion because it is a little confusing. River Bend Park is the whole 750 acres. But of that 750 acres, we have 60 acres that were designated as Loxahatchee River Battlefield Park. Still within River Bend Park, still managed by the Palm Beach County Parks and Recreation, but includes Battlefield Park. We will be there on Sunday. Now, we do have a backup because we don't know what the weather is going to do ever, but if it cooperates, we have an area that we call our speaker circle under a 300-year-old live oak tree and among other live oak trees. A beautiful setting, actually, where we would like to uh, have the speakers present. If we got a threat of bad weather, we do have a large pavilion on Picnic Island that we have reserved uh, as our backup still with a park. So Sunday, we will start off with the Oklahoma Seminole Nation Color Guard, and they will be marching in through the battlefield and to the area that uh, we're going to be making our presentations in. And that's significant because, again, spiritual, they're returning to a homeland that their ancestors fought for. There was also in this area the capturing of the Seminoles after the battles of the Loxahatchee. They had to take them across the state, march them. If you can imagine, Jupiter, Tampa, and we now call that the Southern Trail of Tears. And one of our members and past president, Steve Carr, getting that designated as a historical trail in Florida. The location for Sunday events is really a special location to everybody. All of that and the fact that each one of these folks has got an individual history of their own and a personality of their own and a viewpoint of their own and it really makes for very interesting interchanges and we do have questions at the end of uh, each of speaker's talk and generally they're talking off the cuff on a subject uh, near and dear to them and you'll find that it becomes riveting. We will have some presentations on what the war was like from a military viewpoint but the war was something that, in my point of view, not a very proud part 
of our United States history. The Indian Removal Act of 1830 and going along with that, capturing escaped slaves that were living with and near the Seminoles and fighting with them at the time and taking them back to their plantation. And some of them had never been on a plantation. They were second generation, but if they were black, they were susceptible to being captured. So not a very proud part of our history, but we like to tell it like it is so that we will not have those kind of mistakes again in the future. Who is presenting on Sunday? Some of the speakers uh, for the Sunday morning event, Mike Daniel was actually one of the original amateur archaeologists that discovered the battlefields uh, in the early 1990s. So he's got a fascinating story. When you read some of the literature of the day, like the Count Journey into Wilderness by Dr. Mott, it becomes a little confusing because there weren't any real good maps of the day. So he's trying to describe bends in the river and things like that as to uh, where they were fighting. And he had written a diary and turned it into books. We have a very good account of what went on during the battles, but it's eye-opening as to where the battles actually took place. They originally thought to take place in a state park that's located along the river, and they never found a single artifact there. And just had to go back and reread and say, well, what if he was talking about this and that? And uh, he finally discovered that the uh, battles uh, were right there in River Bend Park. That's a fantastic story, and Mike was there. We also have the Tennies, Gene and Wallace, who have been members of our organization for a long time, ever since I was in there. And they were actually part of a group that went from discovering where the battlefield was to the organizations like the Loxahatchee Battlefield Preservationists who make sure that the, the battlefields were honored. And Wallace Tenney is a relative of the Seminole Maroon black uh, escaped slaves that fought alongside the Seminoles. And they think that up to 50% of the warriors that were involved in the Battle of the Loxahatch, they were Seminoles. He's got a fantastic view also. And then there's Archie Marshall. And if you know Archie, he is at every one of our reenactments. He is an ultimate reenactor, but he is also a penultimate battle historian. One of the few people I know of that get into the history books from the military and tell you exactly what battalions, uh, what people, where they were located, what they did from a detailed military point of view. He did that for the Battle of Okeechobee, and I was astounded the amount of detail that came up with. It was at that convocation that I asked to be on our agenda and do the same thing for our two battles we agreed to do. You will enjoy the presentation. We started out with the philosophy of we don't want the same speakers that were at Okeechobee to speak down here. We want fresh viewpoints in each convocation. And I said, except for Archie. i got to have Archie at uh, our convocation, even though he spoke at the Okeechobee. And that's why the convocations came about. Up until the first convocation in August 2017, everything was scattered. If you happen to want to go to a part of the state where 
one topic and one speaker was speaking as an expense and a trip to get there and for an hour or two of uh, history. So, yes, this is a way of bringing a lot of viewpoints into one area over a two-day time period that is very interesting for those of us that are interested. The Seminole Wars Foundation president, Steve Rink, will present the Frank Laumer Legacy Award during the convocation. Why is that particularly special to the Loxahatchee Battlefield Preservationists? We were very fortunate that this year the Frank Laumer Legacy Award is being presented our own uh, Richard Prosek. Richard has been an LBP member almost from the beginning. He was actually responsible for the fact that we needed that organization, but he was on some historical boards for the county at the time, and he didn't want to present a conflict of interest. So he wasn't one of the original members of the Loxahatchee Battlefield Preservation. The LBP came about in 2000. 2007. He was doing talks in the park in 2000. I think he said 1998. He actually started doing them. I have a copy of his book autographed by him. That is called Guns Across the Loxahatchee. The Seminole Wars Foundation bookstore sells it with a 10% discount for members. SeminoleWars.us. My wife and I went and listened to him talk in the park in the year 2000. So he's been around for a long time. He was part of the group that investigated the battle site. He didn't discover it, but he discovered the camp for the soldiers that, with the state militia. There was some conflict between the regular soldiers and the state militia that fought alongside them. Conflicts being social. The uh, state militia, they were drinking and gambling and some regular soldiers couldn't do that and they uh, took offense. And so there was a, a second camp that was a mile from where the soldiers camp. That was one that Richard Prosser discovered because it was within walking distance of his house. And this man, he's got some fantastic stories. He was originally a Miami Beach police detective and he told me some stories that stood my hair on end and uh, you ought to write a book. And he said, if I wrote a book on this stuff, I'd be afraid for my life. I may write one and then have it published after I pass. <laughs> but he did write Right, the Guns Across the Loxahatchee in 1999, which we kind of use for our docents as a book to guide us through the information that we need for tours. Half of the book is about the Seminole uh, Wars and where they started and how they progressed and how we got to uh, the uh, battles of the Loxahatchee and a good description of them. And then the other half of the book is uh, how battlefields were discovered to be in Riverbend Park and his role in that discovery. Uh, he is well-deserving of this award. He is 96 years young right now. May or may not be able to make it to the convocation. So we have already presented him that award. Steve Rink came over when we knew that Richard was feeling good and up to that kind of an award presentation. We at least have that on uh, film, and we get real lucky uh, Richard show up for the convocation. I got into this group in 2013 and Richard was a person who trained me to be a docent for the battlefield. Quite proud of that, too. Do attendees need to bring hard bread and some smoked pork for lunch? 
Well, they certainly can do that. We set it up so that the the battlefield tours start about noon. The tour lasts for about an hour. We will have continental breakfast in the morning affairs, and I'm sure there will be plenty of leftover from that. But we also like to encourage people to uh, go into the restaurants in the surrounding area of Jupiter. We have plenty of them, and their food is much better than anything that we could bring in. Glenn Bakels has conducted tours. Will he be conducting this one? Glenn is the head of our battlefield tour docent training. He will certainly want to be one of the folks that guides the tour. And it depends on how big the crowds are. Uh, Generally, not much more than 20 people do we like to take on a tour so that everybody can comfortably hear. So in addition to Glenn, my wife and I are both docents, my wife Gail, and we will be there and available. We have Tom Odom, who is our local Archie, he's really into history, uh, and when he comes and does a tour, he comes in a period costume. He could be in a soldier's uniform, he could be in a Tennessee volunteer uniform, but uh, he really does an excellent job, and uh, he will be there too. And the tours themselves, we have what we call the Tree of Tears, which is an area that is at least very similar to what Dr. Mott described as a field hospital during the battle. He describes it in his book, and the tree of tears that we have in the park fits that description pretty well, but uh, uh, we don't have any actual proof that tree of tears. We did uh, have an arborist in and say the tree was over 300 years old. It was certainly a witness tree, if nothing else. We also have uh, a marker for where the Eustis Trail went through the park that was called the Eustis Trail by the military, actually a Native American trail that went from Lake Okeechobee to the Jupiter Inlet and went right through the park and the shallowest uh, area at the time we understand across the Loxahatchee River trail through there, and then on the northeast side of the trail is where we believe uh, the Seminole Village is located. Would make a lot of sense. One of the things that's unique about the battle, we're located on a hammock. It was more like Everglades National Park at the time, with sawgrass, the hammock that where the battles were on, and Lake Okeechobee was all sawgrass, and that's what weighted in. And the Eustis Trail was solid enough to be able to bring the supply wagons and the artillery. There are artifacts that we will have both on Saturday and on Sunday from the folks that discovered the battlefield, Mike Daniels and Steve Carr was a part of the early group in there. He has a lot and we have members that have artifacts from other Seminole War locations around the state. They will be there and it's a conglomeration of all kinds of uh, interest artifacts. Uh, they actually used Congreve rockets in the battle, and they were used at that time. That The rockets' red glare up there uh, where they wrote the Star Spangled Banner, those were Congreve rockets, and they were kind of loud and bright and frightening, didn't damage, but they used them uh, to, uh, during the din of the war to uh, make it intense, and we actually found the Congreve rockets parts uh, in the digs that were done, you know, battlefield belt buckles and musket balls, bullets, there are arrowheads, but
but they're mainly from the ancient Native Americans. Uh, there wasn't too much bow and arrows going on uh, in the battles. The Seminoles were pretty well weaponized uh, with Spanish rifles. You have the difference between the size of the bullets, a Spanish rifle, a U.S. military rifle, uh, and we found these embedded in canoes. You'll see some canoe parts with the uh, pellets in them and bullets in them. Lots of fascinating artifacts. So attendees can see these. Where's their permanent home? Of the artifacts? Well, that's what our uh, interpretive center is going to be about. That's one of the big needs uh, by our organization for an interpretive center. We have a lot of these artifacts in our uh, garages and closets, and we really need a, a place to permanently display them. But we have a lot of promises from folks that have the articles in their possession that will get donated to the interpretive center when it is built. Do you anticipate more digs within the battlefield park? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. In fact, uh, one of the things that we got an agreement with the Palm Beach County Parks and Recreation and Palm Beach County itself is that the Interpretive Center will be the office of Chris Davenport and the current county archaeologist, and he will have his group of archaeologists there on site, and he will use some of us volunteers to also go out and do the digs in the area. We have over 50 historical sites identified within our park area. Some have been dug, some of them have not. I think a significant amount of archaeology exploration that's going to go on once we have that interpretive center built. What can visitors see at the park that's related to the Seminole Wars? Well, we have, during the rest of the year, we have weekly battlefield tours every Saturday morning at 10 a.m., which are free, open to the public. Monthly, we have a history in the park where we bring in historical speakers. A lot of time, uh, we select the speakers that we use for these large events like the convocation from the folks that have uh, presented to us in our uh, monthly history in the park. Then we have the annual Battle of the Loxahatchee reenactment. We like to do that right around the time of the battles, with January 15th, January 24th, somewhere towards the end of January, we will have our reenactment. And then we do things like uh, summer camp for the kids. The park organizes it, and we take the kids uh, for a day uh, through the battlefields and, and give them an education at an early age. We also uh, bus in kids from uh, local schools and take them on the battlefield. We think if we can get to the youth early on, we can inspire some of them to have an interest and, and carry on the history uh, that we are pursuing here. So it's been downplayed because of COVID, but you are expecting the battle reenactment to return in 2023? Well, we think that the battle is going to return next year. We'll see how Okeechobee does. They're putting on a reenactment February 26th and 27th of this year. And there are a few around the state that are bringing their reenact back. Our 
park was a little more conservative, uh, the COVID rules, and we weren't able to do it ourselves this year. But I believe by next year, we will be managing COVID to the point where our reenactment will be back. We are working on the second reenactment. We do what we call uh, Jessup's Battle, the main battle of Loxahatchee, but the scouting troop also had a battle, which we call Powell's Battle, and uh, we are working on that reenactment and I hope it will be ready in time for our our next reenactment can have one reenactment on one day and the other reenactments on the second day that's been our goal for a while will you be returning to betray General Jessup and if so will General Jessup be giving attendees a warm convocation welcome <laughs> well you know I have been in each of the three reenactments that we've had for the Battle of the Loxahatchee, and I have portrayed uh, Major General Thomas Sidney Jessup, and I do enjoy dressing up as him and uh, being involved in the reenactment. That is one of the pleasurable parts of being in the organization. One of the more difficult parts, as I've explained before, is pulling this convocation together and I am determined that I will have this organized to the point where at the convocation itself, I will be out in the audience with the rest of the folks enjoying this uh, presentation, and I am not likely to be in uniform, but you never know when General Jessup might show up. <laughs> Back to the convocation. How big a production is this to pull off? Well, it is a huge challenge because of the number of people involved, the number of speakers involved, food and drink and everything that goes along with it, the venues that we had to rent in order to put this on. I've got 14 committee members from the LBP that are working on this, and I have four venue managers that are in charge of the major venues for the day. And it's just a very large production bring about. We were helped very much by the folks at Okeechobee because they were the last ones to put it on and the mayor of, of Okeechobee, Dowling Watford, my counterpart for the Okeechobee event and he had Maggie, a wonderful lady, doing all the bookwork and files and everything and they gave us great feedback and great electronic files of everything that they did and Dowling, we made him a board of director member for the Loxahatchee Battlefield Preservationist, so, which helped me to be able to communicate with him on issues that would come up years. A successful convocation means what? What would you like attendees and the public that learns about this to take away from the convocation? Well, I think I'd like to impress upon the public that there are multiple viewpoints on history and that we have to dig to be able to make sure that we have the viewpoints from all sides that were involved in something like the Seminole Wars. That's going to be something that is very important because, you know, we have a lot of white man's military history, and, and not all the time is it, is it, is it accurate. I mean, people brag. 
<laughs> about uh, you know their accomplishments and all, and and people hide things that they are not very proud of, and so uh, we get the alternative viewpoints. Some of that come to light. We think that that's a very important thing to be able to take away from. And then the fact that this town of Jupiter that a lot of us live in is a beautiful historic town and has a lot of history to bring forward, as does the Loxahatchee River Battlefield Park and uh, River Bend Park itself. Well, that'll do it. Dick Kasmar, thanks for joining us for the Seminole Wars. Well, thank you, Patrick. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate the fact that uh, you are doing this for the folks interested in Seminole War history like uh, everybody in my organization. If you enjoyed this show, please take a moment to like us on Facebook at Seminole Wars Foundation. Leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. Your reviews and comments help new listeners discover us and help us keep the show going. Visit our website at www.seminolewars.us for blogs, articles, news, books, events, membership information, and how to subscribe to this podcast. We'll be back soon with a new episode of the Seminole Wars Podcast. The Seminole Wars Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to preservation, education, and publication of Seminole Wars history throughout the state of Florida. This podcast is copyrighted. The Seminole Wars Foundation, 2022. All rights reserved. Front bumper music, The Devil's Garden. Roast em, provided by kind permission of Rita Youngman. Back bumper music, Second Seminole Win, by Jed Merrim and Ricky Pittman, courtesy of Ricky Pittman. All rights reserved.